0: section 23 of a popular history of france volume 4 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by cathy barrett a popular history of france from the earliest times volume 4 by françois guizot translated by robert black chapter 30 francis i and the reformation part 3 the success of erasmus was also a success for barquin but he was still in prison ill and maltreated the King wrote on the 11th of July to Parliament to demand that he should enjoy at least all the liberties that the prison would admit of, that he should no longer be detained in an unhealthy cell, and that he should be placed in that building of the conciergerie where the courtyard was, quote, that, was the answer, would be a bad precedent. They never put in the courtyard convicts who had incurred the penalty of death, End quote. An offer was made to Berquin, of the chamber reserved for the greatest personages, for princes of the blood, and of permission to walk in the courtyard for two hours a day, one in the morning, and the other in the evening, in the absence of the other prisoners. Neither the king nor Berquin was inclined to be content with these concessions. The king, in his irritation, sent from Beaugency, on the 5th of October, two archers of his guard with a letter to this effect, it is marvellously strange that what we ordered has not yet been done. We do command and most expressly enjoin upon you this once for all that you are incontinently to put and deliver the said Berquin into the hands of the said tchet and Charles de Broc whom we have ordered to conduct him to our castle of the Louvre. The court still objected a prisoner favored by so high a personage it was said would soon be out of such a prison. The objection resulted in a formal refusal to obey the provost of paris john de la barre the king's premier gentleman was requested to repair to the palace and pay berquin a visit to ascertain for himself what could be done for him berquin for all that appears asked for nothing but liberty to read and write it is not possible was the reply such liberty is never granted to those who are condemned to death as a great favor berquin was offered a copy of the letters of st jerome and some volumes of history and the provost had orders not to omit that fact in his report the king must be fully assured that the court do all they can to please him but it was to no purpose on the nineteenth of november fifteen twenty six the provost of paris returned to the palace with a letter from the king formally commanding him to remove barquin and transfer him to the louvre the court again protested that they would not deliver over the said barquin to the said Provost, but they said quote, seeing what the times are the said Provost will be able to find free access to the conciergerie for to do there what he hath a mind to the same day about six in the evening john de la barre repaired to the conciergerie and removed from it louis de barquin whom he handed over to the captain of the guard and four archers who took him away to the louvre two months afterwards in january fifteen twenty seven princess marguerite married henri d'albret king of navarre and about the same time though it is difficult to discover the exact day Louis de Barquin issued forth a free man from the Louvre, and the new queen, on taking him at once into her service, wrote to the Constable Anne de Montmorency, whom the King had charged with the duty of getting Berquin set at liberty. Quote, I thank you for the pleasure you have done me in the matter of poor Barquin, whom I esteem as much as if he were myself, and so you may say that you have delivered me from prison since I consider in that light the pleasure done to me." End quote marguerite's sympathetic joy was as natural as touching she must have thought berquin safe he was free and in the service of one who was fundamentally a sovereign prince though living in france and independence upon the king of france whose sister he had just married in france berquin was under the stigma of having been condemned to death as a heretic and was confronted by determined enemies in so perilous a position his safety depended upon his courting oblivion but instead of that and consulting only the dictates of his generous and blind confidence in the goodness of his cause he resolved to assume the offensive and to cry for justice against his enemies quote, beneath the cloak of religion he wrote to erasmus the priests conceal the vilest passions the most corrupt morals and the most scandalous infidelity it is necessary to rend the veil which covers them and boldly bring an accusation of impiety against the sorbonne rome and all their flunkies." erasmus justly alarmed used all his influence to deter him but the more confidence he showed says he the more i feared for him i wrote to him frequently begging him to get quit of the case by some expedient or even to withdraw himself on the pretext of a royal ambassadorship obtained by the influence of his friends i told him that the theologians would probably as time went on let his affair drop but that they would never admit themselves to be guilty of impiety I told him to always bear in mind what a hydra was that beda and at how many mouths he belched forth venom. I told him to reflect well that he was about to commit himself with a foe that was immortal, for a faculty never dies, and to rest assured that after having brought three monks to bay he would have to defend himself against numerous legions, not only opulent and powerful, but besides very dishonest and very experienced in the practice of every kind of cheatery, who would never rest until they had effected his ruin were his cause as just as Christ's i told him not to trust too much to the king's protection the favor of princes being unstable and their affections easily alienated by the artifices of informers and if all this could not move him i told him not to involve me in his business for with his permission i was not at all inclined to get into any tangle with legions of monks and a whole faculty of theology but i did not succeed in convincing him whilst i argued in so many ways to deter him from his design i did nothing but excite his courage not only did barquin turn a deaf ear to the wise counsels of erasmus but his protectress marguerite being moved by his courage and herself also as imprudent as she was generous persuaded herself that he was in the right and supported him in his undertaking she wrote to the king her brother poor berquin who through your goodness holds that god has twice preserved his life throws himself upon you having no longer any one to whom he can have recourse for to give you to understand his innocence and whereas monseigneur i know the esteem in which you hold him and the desire he hath always had to do you service i do not fear to entreat you by letter instead of speech to be pleased to have pity on him and if it please you to show signs of taking his matter to heart, I hope that the truth which he will make to appear will convict the forgers of heretics of being slanderers and disobedient towards you rather than zealots for the faith." In his complacence and indifference, Francis I attended to his sister's wishes, and appeared to support Berquin in his appeal for a fresh and definite investigation of his case on the other hand parliament to whom the matter was referred showed a disposition to take into account the king's good will towards berquin lately convicted but now become in his turn plaintiff and accuser we have no wish to dispute your power said the president charles de guillard to the king at a bed of justice held on the twenty fourth of july fifteen twenty seven it would be a species of sacrilege and we know well that you are above the laws and that neither laws nor ordinances can constrain you your most humble and most obedient court is comforted and rejoiced at your presence and advent, just as the apostles were when they saw their God after the resurrection. We are assured that your will is to be the peculiar protector and defender of religion, and not to permit or suffer in your kingdom any errors, heresies, or false doctrines. End the matter thus reopened pursued its course slowly twelve judges were appointed to give a definite decision and the king himself nominated six amongst whom he placed berquin's friend william Bude. various incidents unconnected with religious disputes supervened the queen of navarre was brought to bed at pau on the seventh of january fifteen twenty eight of a daughter jeanne d'albret the future mother of henry the fourth the marriage of princess renée of france daughter of louis the twelfth with duke hercule of ferrara was concluded and the preparations for its celebration were going on at fontainebleau when on monday june the first fifteen twenty eight the day after the feast of pentecost some heretics came by night says the journal d'un bourgeois de paris to an image of notre dame de pierre which is at a corner of the street behind the church of petit saint antoine to the which image they gave several blows with their weapons and cut off her head and that of her little child our lord but it was never known who the image breakers were the king being then at paris and being advertised thereof was so wroth and upset that it is said he wept right sore and incontinently during the two days following he caused it to be proclaimed by sound of trumpet throughout the cross-roads of the city that if any persons knew who had done it they should make their report and statement to justice and to him and he would give them a thousand crowns of gold nevertheless nothing could be known about it although the king showed great diligence in the matter and had officers commissioned to go from house to house to make inquiry on tuesday and other days following there were special processions from the parish churches and other churches of the city which nearly all of them went to the said place and on the day of the fête Dieu, which was the eleventh day of the said month of june the king went in procession most devoutly with the parish of st paul and all the clergy to the spot where was the said image He himself carried a lighted waxen taper, bareheaded, with very great reverence, having with him the band and Hautebois with several clarions and trumpets, which made a glorious show, so melodiously did they play. And with him were the Cardinal of Lorraine, and several prelates and great lords, and all the gentlemen, having each a taper of white wax in their hands, and all his archers had each a waxen taper alight and thus they went to the spot where was the said image with very great honor and reverence which was a beautiful sight to see and with devotion in the sixteenth century men were far from understanding that respect is due to every religious creed sincerely professed and practiced The innovators who broke the images of the Virgin Mary and the infant Jesus did not consider that by thus brutally attacking that which they regarded as a superstition they were committing a revolting outrage upon Christian consciences. Such an incident was too favorable for Berquin's enemies not to be eagerly turned to profit by them. Although his prosecution had been resumed, he had hitherto remained at large and been treated respectfully. He repaired without any guard over him from the Louvre to the Palace of Justice." but now he was arrested and once more confined in the tower of the conciergerie some books of his seized haphazard and sent to the syndic bedat were found covered with notes which were immediately pronounced to be heretical on the sixteenth of april fifteen twenty nine he was brought before the court louis barquin said the president to him you are convicted of having belonged to the sect of luther and of having made wicked books against the majesty of god and of his glorious mother in consequence we do sentence you to make honorable amends bareheaded and with a waxen taper alight in your hand in the great court of the palace crying for mercy to god the king and the law for the offence by you committed after that you will be conducted bareheaded and on foot to the place de greve where your books will be burned before your eyes then you will be taken in front of the church of notre dame where you will make honorable amends to god and to the glorious virgin his mother After which a hole will be pierced in your tongue, that member wherewith you have sinned. Lastly, you will be placed in the prison of Monsieur de Paris, or the bishop, and will be there confined between two stone walls for the whole of your life, and we forbid that there be ever given you book to read, or pen and ink to write. This sentence, which Erasmus called atrocious, appeared to take Barquin by surprise. For a moment he remained speechless, and then he said I appeal to the king. End quote. "whereupon he was taken back to prison the sentence was to be carried out the same day about 3 p.m. a great crowd of more than 20,000 persons says a contemporary chronicler rushed to the bridges the streets the squares where this solemn expiation was to take place the commissioner of police the officer of the châtelet the archers crossbowmen and arquebusiers of the city had repaired to the palace to form the escort" but when they presented themselves at the prison to take barquin he told them that he had appealed to the king and that he would not go with them the escort and the crowd retired disappointed the president convoked the tribunal the same evening and repairing to the prison he made barquin sign the form of his appeal william bud hurried to the scene and vehemently urged the prisoner to give it up a second sentence said he is ready and it pronounces death if you acquiesce in the first, we shall be able to save you later on. All that is demanded of you is to ask pardon. And have we not all need of pardon? End it appears that for a moment Berquin hesitated, and was on the point of consenting, but Bude remained anxious. Quote, I know him, said he. His ingenuousness and his confidence in the goodness of his cause will ruin him. End the king was at Blois, and his sister Marguerite at Saint-Germain. On the news of this urgent peril, she wrote to her brother, quote, I for the last time make you a very humble request. It is that you will be pleased to have pity upon poor Berquin, whom I know to be suffering for nothing but loving the word of God and obeying yours. You will be pleased, monseigneur, so to act that it be not said that separation has made you forget your most humble and most obedient subject and sister, Marguerite, quote. We can discover no trace of any reply whatever from Francis I. According to most of the documentary evidence, uncertainty lasted for three days. Berquin persisted in his resolution. Quote, no, he to his friend Bid, who again came to the prison, I would rather endure death than give my approval, even by silence, only to condemnation of the truth. End quote. The president of the court went once more to pay him a visit and asked him if he held to his appeal. Berquin said yes. The court revised its original sentence, and for the penalty of perpetual imprisonment substituted that of the stake. On the 22nd of April, 1529, according to most of the documents, but on the 17th, according to the Journal d'un bourgeois de Paris, which the details of the last days render highly improbable, the officers of Parliament entered Berquin's gloomy chamber. He rose quietly and went with them. The procession set out, and at about three arrived at the Place de Grève, where the stake was ready. Berquin had a gown of velvet, garments of satin and damask, and hosen of gold thread, says the bourgeois de Paris. Alas, said some as they saw him pass, he is of noble lineage, a mighty great scholar, expert in science and subtle withal, and nevertheless he hath gone out of his senses. We borrow the account of his actual death from a letter of Erasmus written on the evidence of an eye-witness. not a symptom of agitation appeared either in his face or the attitude of his body. He had the bearing of a man who is meditating in his cabinet on the subject of his studies, or in a temple on the affairs of heaven. Even when the executioner, in a rough voice, proclaimed his crime and its penalty, the constant serenity of his features was not at all altered. When the order was given him to dismount from the tumbrel, he obeyed cheerfully without hesitating." nevertheless he had not about him any of that audacity that arrogance which in the case of malefactors is sometimes bred of their natural savagery everything about him bore evidence to the tranquillity of a good conscience before he died he made a speech to the people but none could hear him so great was the noise which the soldiers made according it is said to the orders they had received when the cord which bound him to the post suffocated his voice not a soul in the crowd ejaculated the name of jesus whom it is customary to invoke even in favor of parricides and the sacrilegious to such extent was the multitude excited against him by those folks who are to be found everywhere and who can do anything with the feelings of the simple and ignorant theodore de beze adds that the grand penitentiary of paris merlin who was present at the execution said as he withdrew from the still smoking stake i never saw any one die more christianly the impressions and expressions of the crowd as they dispersed were very diverse but the majority cried he was a heretic others said god is the only just judge and happy is the man whom he absolves some said below their breath quote, "it is only through the cross that christ will triumph in the kingdom of the gauls" end quote. a man went up to the franciscan monk who had placed himself at berquin's side in the procession and had entreated him without getting from him anything but silence and asked him quote, "did berquin say that he had erred" quote, "yes certainly" answered the monk "and i doubt not but that his soul hath departed in peace" end quote. this expression was reported to erasmus but quote, I don't believe it, said he. It is the story that these fellows are obliged to invent after their victim's death to appease the wrath of the people. End, quote. End of section twenty three.